0: Hi, everybody. This is episode 116 of the Seatstruck Movie Podcast. Uh, today, I'm your host. Joining me today is my co-host, John. Hey, how's it going? Curtis is not with us today. Uh, he is saving the world uh, somewhere <laughs> in Germany, killing it. Um, but uh, today, we uh, it's a very special episode for me, very special movie for me. Uh, It's another canon pick of mine. I chose the uh, best picture winning winner of 1971 that beat uh, A Clockwork Orange, actually. A lot of people were pissed about this, but uh, the movie is William Friedkin's The French Connection, starring the great Gene Hackman. Uh, So we are going to get into uh some talks about that movie but before we get into that we're gonna start off with uh a little bit of news of the week and then what we've watched recently so uh john you want to kick us off with the news of the week
1: yeah sure i, I was actually going to uh, originally i was gonna like prep prepare some stuff on, on the golden globes which which just happened last week but i gotta yeah. be honest I didn't, I didn't watch them um all i know is that that guy was the the host did a bad job and everyone's making fun of him joe coy i think but
0: awful uh, I, well, I, I, I didn't watch it. it. it yeah.
1: Awful. I heard it was awkward. I, I just, I was, I was totally checked out. And actually the Emmys are, did the Emmys just happen? Were they yesterday?
0: Emmys, I were, they, Emmys they, were last night. Yeah. Last night. Gone, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I threw them on too. I was just happy that the bear did well.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think, uh, Iowa yeah. debris one, uh, Kieran Culkin one, which wasn't yep. surprising succession yeah. cleaned up. Not a, not a huge shocker. So I still uh, got to
0: see that show. Actually. I haven't oh. seen it.
1: No, oh, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. So, but I obviously uh, the big thing that'll be coming up the next month or two will be will be Oscars, of course. So that'll be yeah. fun to uh, talk about once it once that draws near. Um. Yeah. So otherwise, um, there was a lot of notes left by Curtis. He's not here to speak on them, so I'll I'll punt him to next week. He can talk about it. But uh, I did something that came up was uh uh there was an announcement about a new David O. Russell movie, uh, directing a Linda Ronstadt biopic, uh, starring Selena Gomez which uh, has drawn mixed reaction. A lot of people aren't too hot on David Russell because uh, not only because of uh, his kind of mixed output in the last few few years, but uh, also uh, some personal stuff that's kind of propped up. uh, That's kind of made him a bit of a controversial figure, Um, but I don't know. Uh, Maybe I'll check it out. Who knows? Um, Otherwise uh, there's been some pretty uh, recent movie releases and also just television show releases too um mm-hmm. in the world of tv there's a new a uh, true detective like a spin-off series true detective night country i actually haven't even seen true detective i've heard everyone's like season one one of the greatest shows You'll i'm sure it, it. i'm sure it is i'll get around to it you know it's in my backlog it's like there's too many shows mm-hmm. uh but i have heard some people have been kind of like mixed on this new like true detective season i saw that like i think the showrunner or one of the staff was on twitter was like well, if you hate it, like go on Rotten Tomatoes and help us out. I'm like, hey, that's a red flag right there. I don't know, like it doesn't seem good. Oh, wow. But uh, uh, otherwise, there's been some new movies that we didn't talk too much about new releases over the last month. Uh, you know, class. You know, nor- normally January is kind of seen as a little bit of like a-, a boring month for cinema. You get like kind of the leftovers of all the the Oscar bait stuff that's been in been in cinemas for a while. But a lot of times, you know, the early winter months, it's kind of like a dumping ground for sort of, you know. B tier movies. I think of last year we got like, you know, Gerard Butler playing. Like you get kind of like just like schlock, and we got some schlock this month. So we got uh, Night Swim, which is a scary pool movie. I think it's a bloodhouse movie too, or something. It looks. I think you're right. It looks so stupid, but I'll I'll watch it for sure because it's about a like a evil pool. I, I'm just mad that they couldn't call <laughs> it like evil pool because it's Night Swim. It just sounds like a I don't know like a CBS show or something. It doesn't sound. Uh, yeah. Good enough. Uh um, of the there's, chlorine, you know. Yeah, yeah. Attack of the chlorine. Uh <laughs> another one is uh there's a new uh Mean Girls uh movie that just dropped recently. Um yeah. I think it's it's based off the Broadway show, which is based off the movie. Um and this movie is also like produced by Tina Fey, who also who also produced and starred in the original. So uh, a lot of layers there, but uh it just came out recently. Um I haven't seen the original Mean Girls in many, many many years ago, but uh, I remember digging it enough. So
0: oh yeah, it's um, good
1: it's Definitely built, it's got like kind of like a really pretty, pretty significant cult reputation at this point, too. And uh, another one that also just dropped is uh, The Beekeeper, which is a uh, new Jason Statham, uh, David Iyer directed sort of like action movie. I heard it's also pretty brutal as well, too. Um, another kind of uh, dopey January release, another one that I will surely check out. It'll probably be on Amazon Prime and like. Probably like two months, so you can always hang on if you don't care to go out and see it yourself. I'm always like advocating for seeing these movies in theaters, but sometimes I'm like, some of them, you know, if you don't care, just wait. It'll you know, it's just like it's like the old days of like direct to DVD or or rather like stuff that you would just rent at the video store. You didn't go and see every movie in the theaters back in the day, but you 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 would know that if you missed, you know, whatever bad Bruce Willis action movie you could rest easy knowing within 5 months it would appear at your local blockbuster or something get rented for friday night so um yep. that's that's what the, the the streaming dumping is now these days um so uh that's i guess that's about it movie release wise uh i guess we could talk about stuff we've watched recently uh, anything that you've checked out in the last little while
0: yeah um i decided to revisit i tried i decided to reopen the case of uh Ma- making a murderer. Uh we gotta Netflix. see we gotta find the
1: truth, right? We gotta know this time. That's what it. what happened.
0: That's right. It's been a few years uh since the second part came out. Um uh, so I've been watching Making a Murderer again. Uh I watched it when it came out, season one and season two. Uh I thought the case uh of Stephen Avery. Um, it's very very interesting and his nephew uh Brendan Dassey um I mean the the way the way it's made uh you know it definitely sort of puts you on the side of uh of the accused you know you, you kind of believe that he's wrongfully accused and all this stuff but you know at the end who, who knows we just kind of you know we play detective on our couch and where we only see what uh, what they show us too, like there's a and a lot of these. I find a lot of these. I'm a huge fan of these, you know, tr- true crime documentaries. But once you finish them and you start going online and start looking up a little bit more, there's always like more to it that like oh, wasn't man, on the yeah. documentary or like, and, and that's from both sides too, like both like the uh, you know prosecutors and and the defense and everything like that. Yeah. So. Uh, I just kind of decided to watch, I I remember liking it a lot. So I just decided to like, you know, watch it again. And I, and I, I must admit, uh, I've been thoroughly enjoying it. And there's a lot of things that I, I noticed this time, maybe I was on my phone last time or whatever, but, uh, I noticed a lot, uh, I've noticed a lot of different things kind of gives me a, a new angle and, and, and more, uh, yeah, just sort of a different, uh, different view on, on certain things and whatever. So Really enjoying that. I'm just starting part two. Um, so hopefully you're gonna get uh, to more episodes this week. And then I also I saw Wonka. I saw the new Timothy Chalamet uh Wonka, which is basically uh based uh when uh you know Willie Wonka was a you know young sort of entrepreneur uh sole proprietor kind of guy who's you know um trying to offer the world his 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 chocolate and his his creations and and everything and I must yeah. admit it was absolutely terrible I hated oh, it oh really no damn it's directed yeah. by Paul King who did all
1: the Paddington movies so I've actually been quietly kind of hyped for it but
0: yeah now um, again I I loved Paddington I just again uh, Someone who's a, a really... I, I'm i obviously a diehard fan of the original. Gene Wilder is one of my favorite um, actors of all time. Um, and uh, his Wonka can never be beat. But to be fair to the new one, it's not trying. To, uh, apart from, you know, using the Oompa Loompa song and Hugh Grant is the Oompa Loompa singing it. Uh, I won't get into that. But... Um, you know, this movie's is, is far different. It, it's uh it's like have a heavily musical. and I'm sort of like hot and cold on musicals like some musicals I absolutely adore and some musicals I yeah you John like to be honest that the the one thing that got me in this walk is I didn't enjoy the music. I didn't think the music was like good or like like as soon as the movie was done, I like couldn't remember any of the songs yeah i had that with
1: like greatest showman which everyone loves but all i remember is the title song i don't know any other fucking song of that movie yeah i also
0: i also (laughs) didn't yeah great point i also didn't like that movie either but like some movie like i love sweeney todd great yeah i think oliver is one of the greatest musicals of all time and like i know all the songs in my head like that'll never escape me you know Singing in the Rain, tremendous. West Side Story, tremendous. Like, I love all these films, but this is one of those ones that, like, four or five songs in, I found it kind of, like, annoying. And I'm like, this is, like, it's too much CGI. It's, like, there's not enough backstory. Like, Slugworth is just, like, this guy who, like, just shows up. And they're like, oh, Slugworth, you're bad. And you're like, but why, though? Like, if you're going to show, like literally the movie starts and like Timothy Chalamet just walks in the street and just like starts to dance. And he's like, I make chocolate and all this stuff. And you're like, okay, but where's your inspiration? Where is this? Where is that? Like, there's no like character development. And then it's just like music, 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 music kind of hits you. And then you're like, wait, there's 20 minutes left. What are we doing? Like what's happening? Like what, what happened? So that part of it is a little unfortunate. Uh, I personally didn't like it. It wasn't for me. But I know it's been getting mixed reviews, a lot of positive reviews too. So uh to you know, each uh to each their own. But uh yeah, what about you, John? Would you uh would you check out? Oh, I'm excited to talk about this.
1: Yes. Well, I've been uh I, I I uh a while a while back. This was some of these I, I watched just uh heading out of the holidays, so I had some extended time off. So I wanted to wrap up my long watch through of the, uh, Showa era Godzilla films. So, uh, the last two films of the Showa era, uh, they're actually, um, one of them is a direct sequel to the other one, which is actually a bit atypical for the Godzilla series because most of the films in each era, while they are kind of canonically related, they're usually like kind of their own thing. It's almost like a James Bond movie where it's like, you don't have to watch, um, you know, you don't have to watch like the world is not enough. Um, or sorry, you don't have to watch like GoldenEye if you haven't seen like the world, if if you're watching the world is not enough. You can watch them whenever, whatever order usually. But um, this is a case of where one of the movies is a direct sequel. And this is uh, the first one, I think is the 1973 film, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. And the next one is the 1975 film, Terror of Mechagodzilla. Uh, The first one by uh, Yun Fukuda, last one by the great Ishiro Honda. Um, Really great swan song to the original era. For my money, I think it's my favorite. Uh, Yunfakuda Godzilla. Maybe it's, or, or at least it's his best one since uh, Ibira. It's a very similar movie too. It's sort of almost like the same story a bit, um, where it's this kind of Okinawan island has this like um, god king Caesar, and they have like this like little shrine, and we find out there's these kind of like, anthropologi- anthropologists or historians who are like investigating these materials and. We find out, of course, there's some kind of like criminal conspiracy. And there's also, of course, an island with this like secret island base. It's basically like the Yun Fukuda movies. I love them because they're kind of almost like James Bond movies. They're almost like they take you out of Tokyo and the big cities and you're in these small islands and these like jungle locations where there's like basically like the specter base that like uh, James Bond's going to show up. And it's got the kind of the same vibe and even the 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 bat the fight sequences between the monsters. It has like almost like a like a Batman feel, like the way it's shot. It's very like handheld and kind of tight. And Godzilla does this like little power up with his hands and all that. It's very, it's a little bit more comic book feeling, but um I think it's a really great movie. It's a lot of fun. Um Mecha Godzilla is a great villain, um, probably like the one one of the best villains of the whole of the whole franchise. I think uh, it's a great foil because I think, especially as the original series went on, Godzilla, as it kind of transitioned into being sort of more of a like a hero figure, becomes kind of associated with like the natural world. Like he's almost like from the earth, restoring order. And and one of the the one of the main films of this, the sea original run is of course Godzilla literally fighting like the manifestation of pollution. So he's kind of framed as this sort of You know, good figure in that sense. And even I think some of the more recent films. Have actually like made that canon. I think they've like talked about like Mothra and Godzilla is like actually like I think I think it was uh, the King of the Monsters in the end credits. There's like little newspaper snippets where it's like the coral reefs are like restored and like the air is the ozone layer the whole the ozone layer is like restored and like these like monsters that are so destructive are actually like saving the world environmentally speaking like they're helping like the natural order of things or or something. But um, so Godzilla is always kind of that figure in a lot of the films, but you know mecha godzilla is a good foil cuz he's purely mechanical purely created by human and hub or well, in this case aliens uh, by hubris he's got all this great weaponry and uh, when when he actually starts fighting godzilla it's like one of the best cuz it just fire everywhere explosions everywhere i'm like they must be violating some kind of like work safety stuff on these movies cuz it's like there's so much like explosions happening like i don't know how safe it was in those like rubber suits but uh, i did get a kick out of king caesar cuz he's all floppy He's got long hair, big ears. He kind of reminds me of my dog Bailey. He's just so kind of like fluffy and rough looking. I I kind of loved him. He was like a cute little dog, um, albeit in a guy wearing a rubber suit. So I I love that that movie, but um, the follow-up is one that people a lot of people like Terror of Mecha Godzilla better. For my money, I think they're both like really good on their own merits, but Terror of Mechagodzilla is a great ending to the original series. Uh Mechagodzilla gets resurrected you know he's taken out in the last movie you know sure enough they go to find him in the ocean where is he he's gone because they 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 found him they restored him and moreover they find this other monster called Titanosaurus who's um it's kind of funny because I, I was I, I mentioned a letterbox that like Mechagodzilla he's kind of this like cold silent, almost like immemorial evil he's kind of like Jason Voorhees and Titanosaurus is actually like freddy krueger because he's always like giggling and laughing and he's like knocking godzilla over and kind of messing with them and when they tag team against them it's a lot of fun so um and it's got some great great sequences too there's also this kind of like father-daughter plot line that's actually like really really good um yeah i I, w- I would say once again for people who've heard me talk about these movies like if you've watched the godzilla movies as a kid you probably watched them on tv bad vhs scans you probably heard that they're, they're, they're bad movies. or stupid. And, you know, that's a lot of, that's just coming from actually act, absolute racism. I would say give these movies a chance. They're beautiful. Especially if you have the criterion channel, they're all there. The original collection. Um, you, you can watch them dub, but you can watch them under the original, um, Japanese, uh, dubbing as well too. It's, I mean, it's, they're great films. Some of them are, are better than others. I, I like son of Godzilla, even though most people hate that fucking movie. I like Miniella, but, uh, uh, a lot of them, for my money, I think are are pretty pretty great. Um, and and some of them, I, I I think still hold up really well. And even though the effects are shoddy and it's it certainly pales in comparison to the stuff we get today, uh, there's something that's so like, just like tangible about it. You could see like the amount of sheer amount of work that was put into like the miniatures and even some of the costumes look so good and like, um, you know, Godzilla gets hit and like blood shoots out of him. Like there's so much like effort put into it like it's it's really it's really cool to watch it and and also watch it evolve as technology improves i kind of i always kind of compare godzilla to james bond a bit because you know they both came out around the same time and you kind of see the changing of technology of, of how these movies are made um, and also just social mores as well too and how it relates to kind of uh, the anxieties of whatever, whatever the current issue is in the world, um, you know, relations between men and women, stuff like that. I, I love seeing that kind of evolution in these movies. And I kind of like almost like watching it almost as like a little exercise of history um, and also just taking, you know, the goofy stuff for enjoying it for what it is. So, um, yeah, I, I love the movies. They're they're great. I'm going to be starting probably the 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 Heisei era soon. I have Godzilla 1985 uh, that I want to check out um which isn't the japanese one but that's the one i saw as a kid that was my first godzilla was that movie uh which i famously the tape the first um before the movie starts there's a little short bambi versus godzilla and like i just remember seeing that and laughing like my ass off when i was like six years old so um yeah i'll i'll be excited to get back into those movies because i those movies used to be on tv a lot i remember like even when i was a little bit older like on on cable and stuff or on satellite they'd have yeah they'd always have like you know godzilla versus mechagodzilla the 1992 one and stuff like yep. that And I, I watched a lot of those on tv so i'm excited to kind of actually revisit them because um those ones aren't as highly regarded but uh they do a lot of really kind of fun stuff and some of them are better than others so um, For sure yeah I, i'm gonna i'm gonna be checking those ones out soon too um another one we watched and it's kind of a fun coincidence because this one um just had not, it's not a remake because it's technically kind of like a mean girl situation. They released a new one that's actually an adaptation of the Broadway, I guess, show or the the musical, uh, which is The Color Purple, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, which was actually, I think, Steven Spielberg's kind of first foray into kind of like more serious, dramatic filmmaking. And actually, when this came out, he actually kind of got raked over the coals a bit because a lot of people thought it was very saccharine and, and soapy and like, oh, Steven wants an Oscar and I mean, yep. it definitely has that vibe. It's a very, like, very. It's a very sappy movie, but fuck, man, it worked on me. I was, I was crying. This movie's a really Will- an emotional Will- movie.
0: Goldberg in that is phenomenal.
1: Oh, so good! I mean, her performance is great. Uh, Oprah's amazing in the movie too. What yep. a performance! Yeah, I mean, oh, the movie holds. 100%. The movie holds up just like incredibly well, and I got to oh. say as well too, Danny Glover, like an all-time villain role. Like he's a menace in this movie. I so mean, um, how he and how he plays like someone who you could see as being affable but also just so monstrous under the yeah. surface and how like it just treats the characters as like just like real people like we see them at, at times like there's characters in these movies that in this movie that are like capable of really terrible things and do terrible things but we also see them grow and age and change and some change for the better and some don't and I, I really like that I, I like you really get like just absorbed into this world of this movie and of these yeah. of these characters and uh i don't know i, I was it's interesting because i was looking at a lot of the reviews of the movie and a lot of people actually don't like this movie very much or my understanding is the book that it's adapted from is is a little bit more has more too and i think the book's a little bit more um from what i've read the book is more more, more fully explores like some of the um like this there's like kind of like lesbian undertones in this movie that they don't really get into too much but in the book it kind of explores further and and, and stuff like that but I don't know. I, I really love this movie. I thought it was just really well shot. It reminded me a little bit of like days of heaven with like, because yep. it takes place around the same time, like the 19, like the, the 1910s, um, yep. the big wheat fields in the Southern U S it kind of, it gave me that kind of like days of heaven vibe, even the kind of like, you know, focusing on kind of this like marriage of convenience too. Like it kind of gave me that, that vibe, but yep. um, yeah, I thought it was just a really beautiful movie and oh, it it's great.
0: Stunning.
1: Yeah. And uh, the ending too, just like, Oh, it was a, uh, it, yeah, it was a, uh, it was yeah, a tearjerker. Tear so yeah, we loved it.
0: Uh, another I movie. Uh, on, I got that one on VHS actually. Oh, That's with like, the purple case. Yeah. yeah. That's
1: another one that I would call like a hall of fame mom tape because I remember my mom had that on tape too. And it's oh. like one of those movies that I just, I never watched as a kid, but I just remember seeing the case yeah. and looking at it and just on the rocking so chair, cool. right? Yeah. With her on the rocking chair. And it's just sur- like surround surrounded by purple everywhere, just shrouded in purple. And I just remember beautiful like, cover. Yeah, I remember, like, I, I feel like some of the movies I, I experienced as a kid, I didn't actually watch them. I just looked at the case. Like, I would look at the case, turn it over, look at the kind of yeah. synopsis and the cast and crew, and I would just yeah. look at all these cases as a kid. I I remember, I can even think of memories where I would just be in my parents' basement, like, grabbing tapes off the shelf, like, looking at them. Like, movies I wasn't even allowed to watch as a kid yet, because I was too young. Oh, yeah. I would just, like, i look at the case, and it would scare me. Like, some of the Fridays, I would look at them. Oh, and they would be like creepy looking, and I'd be like, "Ugh!" And there was something about that that I really miss. That's Um, what
0: evil. That's what Evil Dead Two did to me. I remember we had a video store like at the end of my street, mm -hmm. and I remember seeing the cover of Evil Dead Two, and I'm like, "I'm going my whole life without seeing that because it's terrifying with the skull on it." (laughs) Yeah, like oh yeah, the skull staring at you. yeah, Yeah, just like looking at it, like. I want to draw this I'm too scared to see it but I want to and like I didn't see Evil Dead matter of fact I saw Evil Dead 2 before Evil Dead but I saw Evil Dead 2 like way later because like because of that you know Mm -hmm. Stephen King's It too. it's like at the time there was like no other movie in the video store that had like a Creepy clown on it. I was like, "Well, I gotta see that." Oh, and it had
1: wasn't it like the two tapes as well too? Because it was a two part. Yeah, thing. it was double tape. That's so nice. that always stood out too when it was like a double tape. You were like, double "Wow, tape. this this looks yep. like The Godfather or something." You're holding you're like Godfather, this is like importance. Braveheart,
0: The Green Mile, all that.
1: Yeah. There were it, like it, it's like wow this is this is a big deal like it's two yeah. tapes not just one tape so that was always yeah. part of it too yeah i think i think so i think a little bit of that magic's been lost a bit when you're know, just like mindlessly scrolling on like netflix and you see the trailer pop up immediately and you can just go on your phone and just like read all about it and see the reviews you you kind of lose a little bit of that magic where yeah. it, it, it's it's almost likened to like going to a record store and like picking up the record and like looking at it and reading and reading the inside flaps like you're you're kind of getting a little bit of magic about how it was made and you don't really know all that much about it. And I, yep. that's the experience I like for when I'm when I'm browsing through music. And I, I kind of miss that experience a bit with, uh, with movies. Um, I, although I guess you could still go to the odd stores that are around. Uh, I guess you can't go to Best Buy anymore. I've heard they're getting rid of all their, their Blu-rays and stuff, uh, which that's is un- uh,
0: that's really unfortunate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I but... did
0: hear that Walmart's going to be kicking their uh, DVD game, Blu-ray game up. I don't know if that's just in the States, but I did hear that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a big, I think like Walmart and and, and Best Buy in the United States, it's, it's like a big deal there for buying a lot of these,
0: yeah. um, less,
1: less so in Canada. It's kind of odd, uh,
0: yeah, but I it's guess it's just uh,
1: more options available elsewhere. But um, yeah. the last one we watched, uh, this was one we watched, you know, kind of based on current events, we decided, this has been on my watch list, one of the oldest movies that's been on my watch list for a while. It's a 2019 documentary uh, by a filmmaker, Awad Al-Khatib, um, called Forsama. Um directed by Wad Al-Khatib. It's actually, uh, the film is shot as a documentary as her, the filmmaker Wad, um, making a love letter to her daughter, Sama, and who was born, um, during the midst of the Syrian civil war. So, um, the footage in this is incredible because I think Wad, uh, was a, was a, um, an aspiring journalist and, um, she filmed in her town, in her university, kind of the early starts of the, um, the revolution happening in Syria this is of course if you remember back in like 2011 2012 the height of the arab spring where you know countries around the middle east were undergoing a lot of revolutions notably like in Tanzania but also um sorry in Tunisia but also in in Egypt as well too um, and this was also of course the case in Syria where uh, people were were wanting to kind of revolt and rebel against the uh, considered authoritarian uh Assad regime And this filmmaker captures like the joy and ecstasy of like the rebellion and how, you know, it was like Muslim and Christians coming together and how joyous it was. And of course, this also quickly turned into violence and as the uh, Assad regime started to fight back, um, of course, also supported uh, by, by Russia through military means. Um. at the same time, uh, the rebels were kind of quietly supported by um by the kind of like NATO and, and the United States. Um, it, it just made me really, you know, we were watching it, obviously, in the context of the current conflict. And I think, you know, you know, one of the things you realize as you I maybe maybe as maybe I'm speaking for myself, but as you get older, you realize how many of the conflicts happening around the world are literally just puppet conflicts for bigger powers that are just. You know, fighting against each other, using other countries and other people uh, to do their their dirty deeds. It's like we're never going to get like, you know, Russia or the United States directly attacking each other, but we could just go into another country and set up our sides and fight there. Whatever you know happens to those people doesn't affect us, and I think that's just really, uh, really unfortunate and just a total tragedy. Um, um, in the case of this movie though, we see um, Wad meets this young man Hamza, who's an aspiring um, I think he's a he's a medical student. And uh, quickly he volunteers as like kind of like a local hospital staff. And as the kind of conflict progresses, he ends up actually running a large scale military, well, not military hospital, but a, but a hospital that's kind of under the radar. They're trying to help, you know, innocent people that have been hurt by bombings and, and stuff like that. And I mean, the movie is just fun It's, it's, it's a hard watch. Uh, there's just a lot of death and violence in it. And uh, you know, I, I found the plot just utterly captivating about this woman who's had this baby, trying to take care of this infant in this hospital. They're living in the hospital and she's, she's with her baby. And there's a scene like when she walks out with her baby um, or no, she walks, she gives her baby to someone taking care of her. She walks away. And then like 10 minutes later, a huge bomb hits the hospital. And like everything shakes. You hear the explosion and they run back or no, no, sorry. The baby was still in the room. She runs back, opens the door and everything's fine. And the baby's just sitting there peacefully. And it's just, there's so much incredible stuff captured in this movie. I think she also shows real, strong filmmaking chops the way she kind of jumps back in time to the time where life was good in um, in in the city and um, and kind of in, in aleppo and also jumping back forward in time to the kind of brutal realism of months of civil war and most of the people have now left and you know you're now grappling with trying to do the right thing and take care of people that are still in your city but also Terrified for your life and wanting to leave and like we should get the hell out of here and 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 flee as refugees and The kind of tension between that like wanting feeling guilty with leaving and I I mean the movie was just so utterly captivating and uh, um, I think it's something that people should consider watching especially with current events happening right now because I think like um, one of the things you realize is that regardless of the sides fighting there are innocent people just trying to live their lives like you and me in these places And um, some of them are just trying to like, you know, survive and take care of their kids, et cetera. So I just thought it was just really emotional and uh, a really great film, too. So it's on Amazon Prime Video, so I'd recommend people check it out. But I would give like a strong content warning if you're sensitive to depictions of like literal dead people and dead families. Like fair warning, there's a lot of that in this movie. So if you go in thinking like family movie night, let's sit down, uh, I would say maybe save it for a more mature viewing experience. Um, yeah. that you might want to preface if you're watching it with a more sensitive audience. So um, yeah, great film though. Um, I guess that takes us then to talking uh, the French connection. Uh, so I guess uh, like Quinn, like this is your canon pick. I wanted to know like, wh- when was the first time you watched this film? Why is this your canon pick? Because for me, actually, I was aware of this film. This is sort of considered one of the, if you had to make like a Mount Rushmore of like the new Hollywood era films, I would put this movie, Easy Rider, uh yep. I guess the, uh, the taxi driver, I guess, yep. like Midnight, a Midnight Cowboy, that that'd be one yep. of them. Yep. Um, I would probably consider those like the big pillars of the new Hollywood cinema. And I nice. was aware, and I was aware, of course, this movie has that Hall of Fame chase scene, which we'll talk about. But like, yep. this was actually my first time watching this movie for this podcast. So nice. Um, but I want to know, like, what was your experience with this movie, and how did you how did you come to it?
0: Um. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I only saw The French Connection. Ooh. Wasn't that long ago, like uh I don't know, maybe seven years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh um I I saw uh To Live and Die in LA even even sooner than that. Uh my friend recommended it to me. But I've always been a big uh, Friedkin fan. Like I like uh Cruising and obviously The Exorcist. Uh I love that movie. And uh so I was I was reading um, I was reading a book that I have uh, years ago and it was talking about um, specifically car chase scenes and like, you know, you got like bullet and you got like some of these other like legendary um, uh, car chase scenes. And uh, you know, I do love Gene Hackman. I think, I think Gene Hackman's great. Um, and, and, and a lot of stuff he did. Um but uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I had heard about this movie. I read about this movie and this infamous car chase scene, which like you said, we, we will get to, but um, so I just watched it. And I'm also a big uh, for, for those who, who who listen to the podcast for a while uh, they'll know that I'm, I'm a sucker for like New York city films. I love, I love, uh, I love a good movie that captures um, the city in New York, especially when it was like, before it kind of cleaned it cleaned this act up you know like 80s 80s films such as like frankenhooker basket case or you know bad lieutenant or yeah uh, this is early
1: 70s too like there's like they're not the world trade center isn't built yet like it's still that's right yeah that's right
0: yeah so it's like yeah man it just captures uh it's it's got just like such a such a rough around the edges feel to it and uh I, I just immediately fell in love with the the movie. I just, I think the acting is just, ex- yeah, extraordinary. But uh, before I get into like all that other review type stuff, obviously, um, yeah, I just watch it and I was just blown away by it. I it, It's still to this day, one of my favorite movies uh, of all time. Um, I have multiple copies of it from different distributors on VHS. I just, uh, I love this movie, love everything about it. I just love the feeling the grit the everything um so uh yeah it it, it has had to be a, a canon pick for me but i also i'm so excited to hear what you have to say because i would do anything to watch this movie for the first time again <laughs> you know what like I, i'm
1: jumping ahead um but i will say like Watching this movie, I, I've never really been a huge Freaking guy. Like, I, I grew up, I, I did watch To Live and Die in L.A., and I watched it when I was really young, so I, I didn't remember it a whole lot until I revisited it. But um, I've, I've I've, always enjoyed freakins' the movies, the, the ones I've seen, but I've never really felt like I've loved them. Like, famously, you know, when we first started this podcast, I think it was episode 10 or 11, we did The Exorcist, which was, you know, Friedkin's massive critical commercial Well critical but yes but commercial success one of the most financially commercially successful movies of all time pretty much guaranteed him hollywood films for the rest of his career even though frankly a lot of his films from that point on were never really made a lot of money if if that um, but he was still fairly you know able to kind of produce and create films throughout the throughout the 80s into the 90s as well too but um um a movie that i remember when we watched it i i really i didn't love it all that much i i was hotter on it when i revisited it uh when we watched it in new york city but um i, I didn't love it but coming out of the french connection i I, may, I love this movie so much that like i've retroactively feel like i need to reevaluate the movies that i've seen by him um notably the exorcist but especially to live and die in la because to me uh to live and die in la is basically like a a hot, humid, kind of like psychosexual remake of this movie. Like, it's almost the same movie. It um, is. And I just loved how, like, di- I loved watching this movie and kind of contrasting it to that one and thinking about how it how that movie kind of fits as a kind of analog to this one in, in Friedkin's filmography, but also um, thinking about The Exorcist as well, too. Of course, Friedkin uh, started off in his career in you know he was kind of like almost like someone like a like a he came from that generation like Sidney Lumet and also uh, John Frankenheimer these filmmakers who uh, they were inspired by film and they were they would describe themselves as cinephiles but they came up through television kind of working through the ranks of like working through networks and working through the crew you know working in, in television is a much different experience than film nowadays I mean nowadays everything's described as goddamn content it's like there's no difference between you know a show like White Lotus which looks immaculate shot beautifully or even like succession i think it's shot on film and it's got a great score it almost has like a cinematic quality to it but you know back in the day there was a much bigger separation between a movie a film versus television which is shot in video or shot it's transmitted through radio waves it's a totally different mechanical process too it's all the staging is all different you have to smaller sets lower budgets and he was part of this kind of generation of filmmakers who kind of came up through that um and he had this kind of particular style of filmmaking he started off as a documentary filmmaker. Um, You know, he made a movies like Good Times, which uh, he moved to feature films, made Good Times, which is actually a Sonny and Cher film. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in 1967, The Night They Rated Minsky's, which is well regarded. I haven't seen it, though. And he also did another film, I think, called The Boys and the Band. Um, But this was his kind of the the movie that really kind of made him as a director, of course, as we as you mentioned, Quinn won Best Picture in the Oscars for this movie. Um, But he has this kind of particular style of it, it's I think it's called like induced documentary induced documentary style where it's it has this kind of feeling of you're watching like, re, like a real like a, like you're watching a documentary like it's cinema verity, but oh, but it's yeah. but it's not and you see and he has like kind of style where the camera is like 40 50 feet away and you like you'll 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 well he'll kind of follow someone or a vehicle emerge and then the camera will kind of slowly zoom in on them and he yeah. did this a lot with like the exorcist so like watch yeah. this movie I mean, I obviously loved it. I'm kind of jumping the gun, but um, I loved it so much that like, I'm kind of just, I'm kind of flabbergasted. I, I really like this movie really hit me. And I, I've been thinking about it. Um, You know, I guess a little bit of inside baseball, we were going to do an episode on this movie a few weeks back and, you know, with, with the holidays and you were sick and we never really had time to chat, but yeah. I rewatched it again just this week and I loved it just as much. And like, I just yeah. cannot stop thinking about this movie. And Um, there's so much I want to get into. Um, I, I do want to mention as well to you, the cast for this movie, which is, you know, pretty notable. Um, notably this movie is actually, it was based off a book and, and the characters in this book were actually, um, based off of, uh, real life, uh, police, uh, police officers. I believe, um, Eddie Egan is the detective that was sort of the inspiration behind uh, Popeye Doyle, Jimmy, Jimmy Doyle played by uh, uh, Gene Hackman. And also Sonny Grosso, who was another NYPD detective who was the inspiration for uh, uh, for uh, Buddy Russo, Cloudy Russo, who's played by Roy Scheider. Um, It's so interesting, though, because Gene Hackman actually wasn't kind of considered um, the main star of this film or like rather um, William Friedkin like didn't really want to cast Gene Hackman like he wanted to cast Paul Newman uh, or Jackie Gleason and they actually even considered Steve McQueen who was in Bullet which is like a very similar kind of movie um, in some yeah. ways at least in terms of the kind of the narrative um, but you know Gene Hackman ended up uh, getting the role and he won an Oscar for it and it's kind of interesting because I was reading about how he got the role and actually part of it was because he was actually willing to do the real driving sequences in the ch- kind of chase scene and all the other actors, like, weren't willing to do that because you'd have to be a fucking lunatic to do that.
0: But yep. Gene
1: Hackman would do it. And it's so... And there, and I, I really, like, Gene Hackman is, like, kind of an underrated... I, I You know what I thought about when I was re-watching It's like, he's not at all the same guy, but he's kind of like Tom Cruise in this movie. Like, he's an absolute star, but he's also, like, really physical in this movie. He's sprinting. Yep. He's getting shot at and rolling. He's... There's so Ever. much physicality in this movie. And... I am I'm, I'm jumping ahead to a different movie, but I also in between times I watched the sequel, French Connection 2, and there's a scene where he's chase, he's a this huge chase scene where he's just like bombing an after a guy in the streets of 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 uh of, uh, uh Marseille and he's sprinting sprinting to the point where he's just totally winded. You know, as if, if you could, you know, for those listening, you know, when you've done like track and field or something, when you're running to the point where like your lungs are going to explode and your, your chest is hot and you just, you can't even, you're almost like hallucinating. You know, you see him doing that. He's just sprinting after him. You see his face and he's just like in agony. And um, I was reading about it and actually he had done the running himself, but he had a bad knee at the time. So his kind of facial expressions of being in severe pain, that was real because his knee was just totally inflamed. And so there's there's he put his body on the line in these movies and i i think that's it really shows like it's just such a credible physical performance by him the scene where of course they enter the the bar uh with all the black patrons and he's just like a total bull in a china shop like commanding everybody around yeah he's Um, a he's a dick in that scene he's a dick in this whole fucking movie man he's he's a a a piece of fucking shit and that's what's so funny So much of the controversy of this movie is like people like like this is a well-regarded movie, but there are criticisms. And some people say that one of the problems of this movie is that, you know, it, it kind of makes someone who's a bad character look good. But, and you know, people cite the movie poster where it's like he's like he's a bad I think he's like he's a good cop, but on hard time. It's some there's some tagline where it's yeah. like kind of justifying him. I, I, I got to be honest. I don't think the movie thinks he's a good guy. I think the movie makes it pretty clear that he's kind of a piece of fucking shit he's and rewatching shit. it um he's a total fucking maniac this movie like the way he's treating everyone around him I mean the movie literally opens with him as Santa Claus ho 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 what do you want kids and he's pretending to be like a Santa outside and as soon as the guy leaves the bar he just rips after him chasing after him terrifying the children and then when they get the guy he just starts absolutely kicking the shit out of them to the point where his partners like don't, don't hurt you. Stop. He's had enough. And, and, you know, I, I don't think like Roy Scheider's character in this is, 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 like a, is an angel by any means, but it just no. shows the contrast between them. Cause even though he's willing to give a few kicks or punches, he knows the line and when not to cross it. And he sees yeah. Popeye just dive head first over the line time and time again in this movie. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a, it's an incredible performance by Gene Hackman Cause it's so captivating and he's such a well-written character and, and he's so charming, but, he is a piece of shit. And you can also see the influence on a lot of movies. I think that would come because I mean, me and my wife, uh, just in the last few months, we did a big watch through of The Wire. And I mean, even it comes down to the name, but like I, I saw so many parallels between like Jimmy McNulty and then Jimmy Doyle in this movie. It's almost like they just like, like Dominic West just took the same character for The Wire because, you know, the kind of um, archetype of the, the alcoholic Irish, you know, piece of shit lout, officer who is at his heart really smart, really really good at his job, you know, willing to just, you know, destroy his own health and personal life and relationships in his career and his pursuit this kind of Pyrrhic pursuit of capturing the bad guy, which in The Wire, it's like Jimmy McNulty's ruining his life because he wants to go after Stringer Bell and like, it's like, you see so many parallels, and even like there's scenes like the, you know, the scenes where they're outside the the restaurant, where we see uh, Alan Charnier, who's Alain Charnier, who's there with all of his associates and they're all having delicious wine. And, you know, we even see Papa Doyle makes a crack outside with Roy Scheider. It's like cold. You know, it looks like it's in November. New York City, it's cold outside. They're all drinking shitty black coffee, um, looking absolutely miserable. And I thought about in the season two opener of The Wire where, you know, McNulty is like kind of playing the like um, the Marine cop who's like just on the boats and he's kind of following. he, He goes to visit these, this, this ship on, on the, on the water just off the ocean uh, with a bunch of rich people. And they're like, he's like, I got to tell you, you can't stay here. He's like, well, can you kind of just like hang tight with us? We're going to have a party here. And he's kind of just stuck waiting outside with all these rich people having a party and kind of showing how miserable it is to be a fucking police officer. And, you know, this movie makes policing look absolutely like an absolute fucking slog. You know, we got guys like it's, it's just guys following people in cars and, you know, just, getting in trouble, like making it's not it's not fun. It's not glamorous being an officer. No, like
0: no bound ba- like no boundaries also, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like just like I'm a cop, so I just can do whatever you like whatever I want. Like yeah. Very no, it's very, very interesting uh character study, um, especially of uh Doyle, Gene Hackman's character, and uh Ro- Roy Scheider as well, but um predominantly uh Doyle. I, I love the relationship
1: between uh, like uh, Russo and Doyle. Like there's the scene where um, he goes to his apartment and it's a total fucking mess. We find out Popeye had like a girl over
0: who looks yes. like way
1: too young as well too. And like, there's yeah. just like Pepsi cans and pizza everywhere. It's like, he's a total slob. And I love the scene where like Roy Shire sits down he's like, he picks up his folder. He's Like I thought you said, you're supposed to put this in plastic. This folder is like you Doyle, a mess. And he's just, you know, like, he, he's not a friend of his like they're 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 co-workers they're associates and even later in the movie where the chief's like do you believe what Popeye's saying and he's like he is my partner like he doesn't actually like say I, I, I trust him he just says yeah you know he is my partner I'll go with him like this
0: is he, this it, is what I have to work with
1: yeah, yeah, like he like he gets along okay with them, like they have a they have a connection, but like he's not a he's not a buddy with him. It's not like a buddy buddy cop thing. It's not like a yep. Shane Black movie or something where they're yep. making cracks. Roy Schneider kind of thinks this guy sucks. Like he's a piece of crap. Like he's uh you know, he's like put on my put on your pants and he's like, you, you know, Gene Happens literally like handcuffed to the bed with his own handcuffs that the girl did. He can't find the key to like undo it. Like it's just yep. it's a really interesting contrast. I really like Roy Schneider in this movie. Um, you know, it's not a huge role for him. I think, you know, just a couple of years later, he'd be a Jaws and that would really be a big starring role for him. But I I think he's a really great kind of foil to Doyle in this movie and, um, has some really great moments in it too. Um, but I, yeah I think uh, one of the things I loved about it too the movie is so authentic it was not only shot in location in New York City with a lot of um, yeah, folks you probably have to go on the Wikipedia page there's a list of all the locations they filmed at some of them aren't even around anymore like the I think the Roosevelt Hotel and the I think uh, in East, in midtown East, Midtown East is like gone now. there's some of the locations that aren't even around anymore but um, they, they filmed it all in Manhattan and also in Brooklyn as well, too. So it was all shot in New York. But even the scenes with uh, Chernier in France were all shot in 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 Marseille, in Marseille uh, there as well, too, on location. So um, it, it really feels authentic, not only in New York, but also when you're in this town in France, this kind of coastal town. Um, and the movie has a fucking great opener uh, where we see taking place in Marseille. We see the kind of police officer, the French policeman, the detective, I guess. You know, walking down the turning down to walk through the um the alleyway, and then gets of course shot by a frog too, uh, by Nicolo. And it's a great, it's a great scene because he shoots him and murders him, and just as he walks past him, he he bends down and grabs the baguette and starts eating it, like just steals his food. It's like uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a foreshadowing of the fact that you know these these criminals not you know just just run rough shot over everyone and enjoy the spoils of it you know we see later they're whining and dining and in that scene he kills the policeman steals his bread you know literally stealing his bread like taking what's his and it's just um and how it how it transitions back and forth between Marseille and New York's really cool too because you know, we see how elegant and beautiful the old world is in France with Chernier and and even Chernier as well too is like he's a very erudite man played by Fernando Ray, which is actually kind of a funny trivia thing because Fernando Rey, I don't believe was actually supposed to be cast in this movie. He, uh, I think at the time, um, Friedkin was looking at another actor he had seen in a in a in a Louis Brunel movie, but. Um, accidentally, kind of cast Fernando Rey, who uh, is a Spanish actor, doesn't speak, I believe, French or English, but they actually, I think, dubbed in the French for him. Um, but he's kind of like he has like a loving relationship with his girlfriend. He gets her like a gift. Like he's actually like he seems like a very affable, well, well-regarded guy. I mean, he's like he's a criminal and he's running drugs, um, and that, and that's really the the plot of this movie. Is it's it's not a really dense narrative movie. It's we kind of just get thrown in to this world and we kind of learn through the little bits of kind of pick that we pick up about what's happening uh, as the movie kind of leads to the kind of the big scene, which is at the big club uh, owned by that Paisan, uh, Sal Boca. well not owned by him, but Sal Boca is there with all his ladies, like he's in a Scorsese film um, mm-hmm. to the, and, and they're, they're all there watching the number that everybody wants to, everybody gets to go to the moon, which is a, an earworm, an absolute earworm of a song, a great performance performed live by the three degrees, a really great performance. Um, And the song is pretty fun too, because the song is actually about, you know, we are the generation, you know, that's taking place in the early seventies. It's right after the moon landing. Like we're the generation that's going to go to the moon. We're going to, you know, it's, it's, it's great to be be alive and it makes you proud to be alive. And it's so optimistic and an otherwise really depressing and like dreary movie. Like New York is like ugly and gross and smoky. And, you know, for this one little moment, it's euphoric and it feels great. Um, and you see Sal Boca just having a blast with uh, all of his gumas. And, um, you know, we really see that what kind of sets this off is that, like, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but, like, Popeye Doyle actually is jealous of Sal. He's, like, look at him. He's got all these girls around him. Yep. Look at this piece of sh- Look at this, like, look at this paisan. Look at this piece of shit. You yep. know, he's cheating on his wife, Angie. And, like, he's, like, a small-time criminal. And this is actually what kind of gets him investigating him because he's jealous of him. And that's what kind of kicks off the realization that he's involved in this operation, uh, with the French to actually bring the drugs, the heroin in, uh, to the United States, which is going to be done through this. Uh, what is it? A French filmmaker? I think it's like Henri Devro is like the filmmaker who's, uh, yes, coming stateside. And I mean that the great scene is of course
0: in in the garage with the car. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and I was just gonna say because like we won't spoil it, but the car. Oh, and- we can't spoil it. This is a deep dive, so we can people have been warned yeah. yeah no just i all i'll say is just like the car with the drugs and how it's like all done is is brilliant oh my god yeah i love that scene
1: where they're just tearing the car apart and oh. like and and it's what's what's cool too is i think um i can't remember the guy's name is it um the the guy who uh, rips the car apart i can't remember his name but the man who's who's there the mechanic he was an actual uh, NYPD, like a uh, police car mechanic. Like he actually fixed the, oh, these right? vehicles up. So it, it, it's authentic because he's actually one of these guys uh, who just like digs these cars apart. And, and like, it looks like it was filmed like literally in his shop. Um, and you know, it's a great scene because they just rip the car apart to the point where they like, they, they drain out all the oil and like, yep. they're really just like ripping it, like almost like restoring it completely and they can't find the drugs. And I, I love you know when they weigh the car and he realizes like this car is like 150 pounds overweight like he's right there is drugs in the car it's and so he's well like, done and he's like well what? he's and the, and the mechanics like i took apart everything uh what was it but the but the rocker but the rocker panels or whatever and that's my favorite cut where he's like oh what the hell man (laughs) like it cuts to them like taking it out Uh, that's my favorite cut because it's so it's actually kind of silly where he just is so mad at him and then it immediately cuts to them taking the the rocker panel off uh, of course where they find the drugs um but yeah some of the things i want to mention too like there's actually parallels i think between uh frog one frog Two, and and, like, kind of with Russo and Doyle, like, Chernier is, like, calm, collected, you know, a little bit erudite um, versus Nicolo Frog 2, who's, like, just wants to kill. He's, he's the he's the, first, the one we see kill in the beginning of the movie. He's the one who gets, of course, shot after the chase sequence. And even during that chase sequence, like, I well, maybe we could just get into it. I think the moment where Doyle gets shot at, the assassination attempt, all the way through to that scene that's on the movie poster where he shoots him on the stairs... Like that might be the best action sequence ever. ever. Movie, like it's. I, I,
0: it, it... I believe, and I was gonna get to it. I believe that it's the it's the number one that I've ever seen, and because of that, alone. The it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I and I know, I'm guilt. I know I think I think we all are guilty of saying that sometimes. <laughs>
1: quantifying everything by x is the best of all time we don't we never do that on this podcast we're you know we're straight shoot we're we're we're, you know we never say that ever
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's the go it's the go but i truly i truly believe it's now i know tarantino says this all the time and he says by far the 70s are the best decade in cinema history that's what he says he says it all the time for many reasons and this is one of the best movies of the seventies. Therefore, it's one of the greatest movies of all time, and that action car scene is, like you said, right up to when he shoots him right running up the stairs. It's it, it's filmmaking at its finest. It's so realistic, like you said, he's driving that car, like friggin' guns a blazing. It's it's how he's using. Very similar to, oh, I just passed away. What's his name? Love the guy from uh, Goodfellas. Oh, my God. Oh, um, Ray Liotta, right? Thank you. Ray Liotta, when he's driving and he's all paranoid and he's all coked up and he keeps looking at his windshield, trying to look up to see, like, the helicopter and stuff like that. Gene Hackman is just flying down this street. He's Subway like perpuzzle. a maniac. He's
1: literally like at one point he's shaking the steering wheel and like screaming. Like he's yep. absolutely losing his mind. Again, yep. to the whole tune of is he a good character, bad character? He's literally just he's like he has no sense of safety. Like he's just no. barreling yep. through and uh they also undercrank the camera so it, it looks faster than it actually is too. I mean, yes. it was driving fast. And um this might be apocryphal, but I think I think I heard this on the Unspooled podcast. They were mentioning, like, there were parts of this they were shooting where, like, even though, like, um, Gene Hackman drove the car, like, there were parts of it where he was like, I won't do it. And apparently, Freakin himself got in the car and drove through some of it. And this was all shot, like, in Brooklyn on real streets with real cars. There's scenes where they actually crashed the car that they kept in the movie, I think the one where he kind of spins out and hits the wall, I think that was real. Like, there's all these moments that were actually, you know, dangerous scene. Like, this is a guerrilla filmmaking. This is actually like, fucked we'll up a bit. bit. This is yeah. actually a little bit like evil. Like, Freakin's actually a oh, medium yeah. for this because it's like, it's so brutal. Uh, but the whole leading up to that scene is great too. Like, Hackman, where he's walking past just, happens to pass by the woman when he gets when the neighbor shoots and he does that like barrel roll behind the tree and him sneaking behind the apartment so we see the kids kind of looking at him like it's so like you just feel like you're there like it's just it's so incredible it's so it's so tense and and even when frog Two's running through the 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 train itself and you know he's he's just an absolute psychopath like he's just shooting like anybody who comes up to him like the 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 subway cop who's like listen you're surrounded nothing you can do and you just shoot some point blank um like it's so fucking brutal oh Oh my god and also i we we jumped ahead but my favorite maybe that that whole sequence is my favorite but the scene where hackman sees uh frog one in the actual subway and that little cat and mouse moment where he is and I I, re, I was re-watching it too, and you could tell that he knows he's following them the whole time. But that moment when they both step in the subway and he he goes, he gets on the train, immediately turns around, throws out his gum, comes back in. He's just totally manipulating him to get off and on the train. And yep. I love when he just steps out two steps and steps right back in and the doors close and he gets like yep. stuck outside. Oh, it's so good. It's so funny too. But like um this is just a kind of a depressing movie too, because this isn't like the typical you know the heroes win at the end the cowboys defeat the bad guys this is you know showing how shitty it is to be a cop how cops specifically doyle in this movie are literally racist we, sorry folks this this will sound maybe seamless but the recording just stopped for like 10 minutes midway we were just like oh crap uh but the last thing we we're talking about was doyle and like this is actually a little piece of controversy about this movie recently, because uh, this movie was actually recently on the Criterion channel. And actually, um, what people noticed is that parts of the movie had actually been removed. And notably, there's a scene where Gene Hackman actually says the N-word, um, and it's in the context of Doyle is racist, and he actually gets called out, out, out on it. He's like, well, it could be anybody. He's like, never trust anybody. And that's like sort of like a famous scene in the movie. Yeah. Um, it's kind of important to his character, because it like shows how much of a fucking piece of shit he is uh but notably that scene's actually cut uh from the the Criterion uh, channel uh version of this movie uh but it turned out it wasn't really their fault they had i guess sourced the movie from a copy that was on Max in the United States uh but what i thought thought was really funny is that i watched this of course in Canada which it's on Disney Plus in, in this case like with Doyle's character like i think keeping that scene in like i, I think it just it, it's more authentic to him being a total piece of shit but i did get a kick out of the fact that I, I, as a Canadian, was able to watch it uncensored with the slur on Disney+. Plus. Uh, yep. So, you know, the House of Mouse. Um, so that was pretty funny. Um, I, I guess I've got some additional notes here I wanted to kind of bring up as well, too. Like, I mean, this is obviously a very authentic New York film. Even some of the gunfire was done with real with real guns with blanks. And, and I think there were some scenes where they actually used real and am- live ammunition to for some of the shots as well, too. But um, even the scene where they're testing the heroin, that was actual real heroin. Uh, So even some of the drug testing was all authentic too. Um, Friedkin had actually kind of uh, paled around with some of the cops to kind of get a sense of authenticity for how, uh, how the cops would react and actually like Friedkin himself had actually witnessed uh, some of these shakedowns happen. And so he tried to like, you know, they, they had, I think some of the police on the set and they actually like, tried to keep it like the vibe of what it would be like actually, uh, you know, breaking into a bar and like, you know, insulting the patrons and pushing them around. It was, it was meant to be, something that would actually look like a real police shakedown. Um, and even some of the slang terms and stuff like the whole, uh, which is kind of one of the iconic quotes in the movie. It's like, have you ever picked your feet in Poughkeepsie, which is just kind of a random non sequitur that comes up in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that was an actual kind of like those are the kind of phrases or stuff that police would use to just sort of, you know, just get someone off their toes a bit. If someone's kind of reserved and withholding information, stuff like that would just kind of get people confused and, they would then reveal stuff they were wanting to reveal. Um, yeah. And I, just to jump ahead too, when this movie came out, obviously like a huge uh, critical success. And a lot of people kind of compared it to Bullet, which was of course, a late sixties movie. And it's kind of funny because Bullet, like it's a very similar subject matter, but you know, Steve McQueen is like, he's a little bit like he's a better husband. Like he's a little bit more refined or this movie is like the rough seventies version of, of bullet. It's like, we really see the transitioning of, of American cinema. And this movie came out of time when that was all changing with new Hollywood, where all of a sudden a new generation of younger filmmakers who they themselves were inspired from the past masters and wanted to do, um, you know, really great character cinema and, um, you know, they they ended up becoming much more powerful than the studio system at the time because this was when the studio system was declining and studios were, you know, facing dire straits financially. And all of a sudden these young filmmakers came about and they were able to kind of push the movies they wanted to make um, with a lot more control than they otherwise would have had, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, again, there were some criticisms about the kind of the portrayal of Doyle, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you know, there's 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 ways where he's presented where you're supposed to kind of um sympathize with him, even though he's pretty like repulsive. Uh, there was a quote from uh, David Purley of the the Monthly Film Bulletin where he had said, um, you know, whereas the detective or the bullet, um, the hero's attention is kind of directed unmistakably towards kind of like liberal ends, crooked businessmen, corrupt local officials. In this movie, Doyle spends a fair part of his time just beating up. Blacks and alleys and bars, <laughs> you know. You really come away from this movie being like, "Is it even worth it?" Too, because it's the movie has like one of the best endings of that I've seen, and it's just yep. stuck with me. Where they're down in the basement of this factory, of course they discover the drugs. They set up this big bust. Sal Boca gets shot, um, and a bunch of, or his brother gets shot, and like, um, but we see that chernier gets away, and and there's a scene where they're in the basement, and he's like frog ones over there and he shoots and he actually kills the fucking fbi agent the, who's supposed to be kind of helping him who isn't helpful at all in the movie he's just a lazy asshole and complains the whole time but uh-huh. you know he's like you shot him and he's like he's just looking through his bullets he's just determined to find the guy and it ends with him the camera's still and we just see him running off into the distance and turn to the corner and we hear the the fade to black and the bang and it's left ambiguous to to what totally happened but The little, they get the little kind of character notes at the end, where basically everyone who was low level got the worst punishment. Like I think Henri Devro, the the filmmaker, it said he was in prison for like I think like four years, five years. Um, the small time people got charged, but charges were dropped. Uh, you know Frog One was never seen again; he disappeared, and the cops were reassigned off the case. And it's just a total fucking bleak ending where you know, nothing nothing good was resolved. It was just a total fucking, almost like a total waste of time and resources in people's lives, too, for that matter. Um, and it also helps that the score in this movie. I forget who did the music. Um, I should just look it up while I have the notes open. But um, I think the score in this is so, it's so like, like, it's all done through like strings. And it's almost like kind of this weird, um, it just kind of has you on edge. It's all stringy. It's almost all like sharp. All the notes are played really sharp. And it's kind of like, it kind of like it's like a cat scratching it like or you scratch like a whiteboard or a blackboard you get the hairs kind of stick up on your neck it just kind of it puts you at like unease like the whole time when you're watching this and i I think the music plays a big role in it there's a lot of scenes where there's like basically no music but i think the score um it it feels it it just feels disturbing and weird and 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 strange and uh it's it's a credit to the film i think and uh yeah, I think I think it was Don Ellis. Yeah, Don Ellis was the composer who did it. Um, Kind of almost reminds me a little bit of like Bern, what her, like Bernard Herman would do with like Taxi Driver. Very yeah. jazzy and, re- again, also kind of similar instrumentals. Film kind noir. Of, yeah. yeah, it kind of gets you into the kind of... It's groovy, but it kind of like also feels a little bit... makes you feel uncomfortable, like a little tense, yep. claustrophobic too. It's not totally... Of the, like the notes are all played flat and sharp. It just, it just sounds weird. Um, but yeah, and obviously critically, this movie cleaned up at the Oscars, best picture, best director, best actor. Um, and it's been cited, this movie's been a huge influence on filmmakers. Uh, Steven Spielberg cited this actually movie, this movie has an actual influence for Munich, I believe it's 2005 film. Um, the Safdies also were very much inspired by this movie. They they cited this as a clear influence on Uncut Gems. And I think like they they're kind of, they, they do kind of similar filmmaking where they really show like New York. It feels very authentic. It's, it's from a different decade in time, of course, but it, it feels gritty. Like you're on the streets there on, you know, down in Manhattan. Like, it feels like you're there. It doesn't feel like you're on a set or, or that it's shot in Vancouver or something or yeah. Toronto. Like you're in New York City and it, you're there with all the, it's not totally induced documentary style, but like they include all the kind of like local celebrities, like uh, someone that would appear on like the, the Instagram account, like New York Nico, you know, like or, or like side talk, these strange characters that wear costumes and they're only, yep. they're celebrities amongst New Yorkers, but not nobody else. Like they come up in the movies. And I think that stuff's kind of fun because it really makes you feel like you're there, like you're a local. And um, interestingly enough, Akira Kurosawa, the famous Japanese filmmaker, uh, called this movie one of his favorite films too. Um also wanted to note there, and I mentioned this from the start, there was a sequel in 1975. A lot of people don't remember this, but uh, directed by oddly enough, John Frankenheimer, French Connection 2, which I watched. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it some other time, but I didn't like the movie as much, but it is a very interesting movie. It's Gene Hackman's back, going after Frog 1. This time he's in France, dealing with like the French cops and kind of cultural differences, as you'd expect with Doyle and... Um, the ending is interesting too. I think the, the end, you know, the movie's very self-aware of the original film and trying to kind of resolve uh, loose ends. I think it's an interesting artifact. It's on, for what it's worth, it's on Disney plus as well too. Uh, but yeah, the sequel wasn't as, as successful. They are originally going to make like a third film too. I heard that they were going to make a third film. Gene Hackman was going to be partnered up with Richard Pryor, but um, didn't happen. Um, uh, but you know, where does this movie stand today? Well, it's this movie is regarded as one of the best American films of all time. It's one of the best ones that, or at least one of the highest regarded films that we've ever uh, done on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's ranked number 70 in the AFI top 100. Again, this is kind of considered a seminal film of the new Hollywood era. It's a gritty film depicting a, a side of New York that most people had, were not really familiar with. And you have to consider too, that this actually predates a uh, taxi driver by a few years as well too. It's a subversive cop film. The detective's a bully who's obsessed with the case to the point of his own ruin. Uh, He drinks on the job. He's racist. He has little consideration for the rules. He's even a little, like, even physically, like, he's not a, like, Gene Hackman's like a masculine. He's got a presence, but he's kind of, like, dumpy looking. He's not, like, cut and bulk. He's just kind of, he looks like an average Joe, like an average cop. Like, he's.
0: The thing is, is he does also look like the character he portrays.
1: Yeah, Exactly.
0: It's like drinking fucking asshole who just doesn't respect anything. Doesn't yeah. respect the rules of the road. Doesn't respect anyone. He just, he's just that guy. Right. And like, he, he also, looks stinky.
1: Like he looks he like he doesn't showered. Like he puts on his yeah. pants with his drawers on. I'm like, this guy hasn't showered in days. You do that's not right. want to sniff his pants. Gross yeah. guy. Crusty. And awkward. that's,
0: and another movie that I will bring up too, that I hope to cover later is death wish. And that's a movie. Oh, from- yeah. Three years later 1974 uh i mean starring obviously uh charles bronson but uh there is very similarities in this movie too very new york city very gritty uh you know a lot of guns a lot of violence it's you know it does hit some pressure points um but yeah man this movie is iconic it's a very special movie to me um <laughs> Did you have yeah. any other uh, things you wanted to say about it or? Yeah, well, I guess I think like we kind of take this
1: subject matter, I think today for granted, like there's a lot of movies now that explore, you know, police figures as as antagonists or kind of show the complexities of policing, like a show like The Wire is about uh, very much showing the, uh, an authentic portrayal of kind of the, the sides of crime, media, law, et cetera, in, in Baltimore and exploring cops that are, Real people for better or for worse. Some of them want to do good, or but are ham, but are like you know are face pressures from the system, and some of them are just absolute fucking psychopaths and want to just you know treat people and beat up innocent kids and stuff and bad people. And you know I think we take it for granted, but like this was really kind of like cutting edge for this time. This was you know depicting like police in this way. I mean, the it they, did follow old old kind of I guess noir tropes of like the cops is kind of bad or corrupt and the, the villains is heroic, but usually it was portrayed that way. But in this case, I, I mean, the, 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 the villains in this are, are erudite and kind of successful, but I don't think you're supposed to like them either. I think you're not really supposed to like anyone in this movie. The only person I really liked this movie was like Angie, Sal Bogus wife. She seemed kind of nice, but yep. everyone else is kind of a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> They're all terrible. Um And I think, you know, again, this movie has been also released as well. It was released on Blu-ray. Um, notably, they there was some controversy because I think the color was all timing was all changed by Friedkin, but um, and it was this was done uh, at the chagrin of the um, of the cinematographer who had worked in the movie. Um, it was done kind of without his uh, uh, with uh, Owen Owen Roisman. It was kind of done without his approval. Um, and he um, also worked with Friedkin again, also on The Exorcist, and also worked on um, other other notable '70s films like The Taking of Pelham One Two Three, uh, Network, the Sydney Lumet film. Uh, so he worked with kind of that generation of filmmakers. Kind of has that kind of great style. Oddly enough, was also the cinematographer on The Adams Family, the Sonnenheim film, and no a film. And I love that movie. Uh, totally yeah. different vibe. <laughs> But yeah. Uh, yeah, he's like one of kind of the great uh, notable cinematographers. And I think he was actually the president of the ASC, the American Society of uh, Cinematographers. So pretty notable person in Hollywood. But they had kind of a disagreement on the Blu-ray release. They were, he was messing around with it. But they uh, the the most recent release, I believe, it was corrected. So it looks a little bit more, less blue. I think some of these filmmakers, they, they really change up the color. And there's been some controversy around this. I think I, I was reading a tweet about... Um, the matrix films that were released on, on home video, there was a comparison picture that showed, you know, what it looked like in the theater, what it looked like off the source, like 35 millimeter. And it was all these comparisons and you just see like how different the color is in each one. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, w- what's the real version? Is it the, the original source film? Is it the home release? Is it what the filmmaker says it is? You know, is it the 4k restoration? There's, you know, it, it really comes down to sort of a, uh, Especially when it's you know, in that case it's the filmmakers' involvement, but when it's films that the filmmakers are long gone or you know they're very old, like where where do those considerations lie? So I, I always find that process kind of interesting because you know it's something that comes up all the time now with uh, all these like boutique Blu-ray releases and restorations and stuff like that. Uh I think of all the controversy with all the recent uh 4Ks done for the James Cameron. I think people like the Titanic, but I think uh what was it? The new terminator was it T2 or not Terminator? It was one of the other ones that just came out. People thought it oh no, total total recall, I think it was that's what
0: it was. Total recall, yeah.
1: Looks horrendous. They use like AI and it looks everyone looks plastic. Like it looks it looks awful. I haven't seen it. Maybe it looks better in motion. Some of these actually look better when you actually watch the movie, but when you see it in the stills, it's just it looks horrifying. It looks like it was created in like uh, I don't know, one of these AI generators or something. It looks like yeah. it looks looks evil. but uh do you have anything else you want to mention because i mean this is your baby so is there anything that we left out or you felt like you wanted to give a quick shout out to
0: no i mean i i will just say this uh i'm really glad that you enjoyed the movie and this is exactly um i've been i haven't been on the podcast for a few weeks i will say it's nice to be back and also um yeah just this this is what this is all about man uh recommending good movies uh there's good movies there's bad movies there's awful movies but there's also great movies this is a great movie um in my opinion mm-hmm. uh, one of my all-time favorite films and i think that will be uh that'll never change so um yeah uh let's get into our uh yeah scores well
1: i think i know what your score is right you we're talking five out of five
0: we're talking five out of five yeah this yeah. is is uh This is up there for me. This is like on my... Obviously, uh, if Mount Rushmore had a few more than a a few heads, but (laughs) uh, this is up there for me. Uh, uh, Up there with uh, like Desert Island films. Uh, I I love everything about this movie. Uh, The acting, the grit, the fact that they captured real New York City. uh, You know, no fake bullshit. There's cars that are actually crashing here. The sound is great. Mm -hmm. The score is great. The characters are authentic. You know, it. this movie is awesome. An awesome New York City cop movie. Um, and I, I believe it's Friedkin's best film um, of his entire career. Uh, and definitely one of the greatest movies of the 70s. So five out of five for me all day long. Um, yeah, two thumbs up. John, what do you got? Well, I went five out of five as well, too. And
1: I mean, I said it from the hop, like this movie was so good that it actually makes me retroactively want to reevaluate Freakin's filmography because like I've seen a lot of movies by his that I've liked, didn't love necessarily. Like, I really like to live and die in L.A. I rewatched it recently on the big screen. I really dig it. But there was parts of it that kind of left me a bit cold. And I was kind of like, I couldn't really connect with it. But like, I feel like watching this movie was like unlocking the secrets to the whole freaking mindset. And I just, I want to go back and rewatch them all. Cause I fucking love this movie. It's stuck with me for weeks. Um, I just think just how bleak and, and real and authentic the story is really unsettled me. Anything to do with kind of forces of evil and darkness outside of our control. And like, there's only, we could, we could put a stamp, we could put a patch on something, but we can't actually stop it. And it's like the forces of crime are just so the tentacles are everywhere. And, you know, it doesn't matter because even though the tentacles are everywhere and you can't stop it, the people that we trust to stop it are also fucking psychopaths and racists and pieces of shit. And like they are also not doing anything to really make anything better. And it just it betrays everyone who's involved in this enterprise is just self-serving and loathsome. And, um, you know, it makes you think about your own kind of artistic and kind of career pursuits and the lengths you take to do stuff. I, I wouldn't consider myself Popeye Doyle, but I think we can all kind of see parts of ourselves and his kind of character of just being totally relentless and trying to get something done. And maybe, um, well, I didn't, I didn't ever almost crash into a baby stroller. So I guess that that's something for me, but um, yeah, I loved it five out of five for me. Um, I also want to mention Curtis actually gave this a score as well too. He had said, uh, he gave it a four out of five. He said, uh, it's been a while since I've watched this one, but it's raw gritty and neo-noir where you could smell the grit and taste the cigarette smoke. I think it's Hackman's best performance has a surprise ending one of the most exciting car chases ever committed to film uh so overall we're looking at about a 4.67 you know we're we're really high on this movie um yeah i I would love to kind of get into more freaking stuff maybe we'll do a watch series proper in the future but uh yeah this this definitely held up for me um and i would love to talk about the sequel because when we do our you know they made a sequel to that series like this is definitely one of them because i feel like no one remembers that this had a sequel and it's like one of the greatest films of all time too. So that would be fun to kind of chat about. Um, Yeah. So uh, I guess that about wraps it. Uh, We're going to be talking, uh, we're going to be jumping back to Ridley Scott series next week. We're going to be talking uh, American gangster, his 2007 uh, crime opus. So uh, we'll be talking about that one. The, the first Ridley Scott, Denzel Washington movie, you know, usually he was working with Tony. So it'll be fun to kind of see that. We'll be getting through more of the Ridley movies as well as we go on. Um, I think we'll probably do another canon pick from one of us at some point, too. I can't remember what the schedule was. I had this all in my head and planned out, but I've I've lost track. But uh, we got stuff coming up. Oh, we're going to be doing our first uh, Movies by Actors series that I've been wanting to do for a while, which uh, to kind of explain what that's about you know, movies where actors have directed movies. And I'm not talking about like, you know, Cassavetes or Eastwood, like actors, but they're kind of more like filmmakers, but I'm talking like the movies directed by like, um, G- like Jack Nicholson, who only made like two movies, like movies that are made by actors that you wouldn't have really thought about otherwise kind of interesting kind of pieces. Um, and I I want to talk about probably the hall of fame level a movie by an actor and one of the greatest one-off one hit wonders of all time, which is um, the film, uh, the night of the hunter, which was uh, uh, directed by an actor and it was the only movie he ever made too. So that's, and he made one of the best movies ever made. So really excited to talk about that one um, at some point. So that'll, that'll be coming up uh, this spring as well. Um, And I think also another one, we didn't plan this out fully yet, but we want to do a world cinema month where we're going to be spotlighting um, each week we'll do a movie from kind of a different region of the world. You know, we're, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're a pot of the people, you know, we like to talk our action films and stuff, but we're also erudite educated men, so and, and you know we we have women on we're, we're inclusive so we're <laughs> we're we're not just three white guys with facial hair that just talk about movies all the time we sometimes have other people on sometimes yeah. uh but we're going to be doing a world cinema month spotlighting i want to talk a film uh from uzman sambene um who's like kind of the the kind of seminal filmmaker from africa i think we'll talk movies from as well india uh south america as well too so we're i we want to i want to talk a little bit about kind of some of the notable movies from international markets that aren't the usual ones. Like when you think world, when you think international movies, people think, Oh, like Korea or Japan, which is true. But like, there's also cinema from like around the globe that you might not know if that's really good. Yeah. So we'll, we'll try to talk about that too. Um, yeah. Anything you want to mention to you, uh, Quinn, before we wrap?
0: Um, No, I don't think so. Um, Yeah. Just happy to be back and uh, oh, yeah. looking forward to talking American gangster.
1: Sounds good. All right, folks. We'll see you again next week. And remember, everybody gets to go to the moon. Take care.
0: That's right. See you guys.